Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, my name is Noah. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at the church, and I get the opportunity to share a message with you today. Pastor Doug is at another church. He is in um, Prosser, and he is ministering there at another church, and um, church has gone through a really hard time, and so uh, I'm really thankful for uh, a, a person like Pastor Doug who, he's not just about this place, but he's about the kingdom, yeah. and so if you just think about it even today, and I will when we pray, um, well, let's pray for him and believe that the Lord is going to use him mightily. Amen? Amen. Um, it is so good to be in church today. Um, we're just so happy you're here, and if you're new, I really pray that you feel welcomed here. And um, if you didn't get a free coffee, get a free coffee. <laughs> Don't forget that. Um, today, um, <clears throat> I'm going to preach in a manner called um, expository preaching. Um, it's a big word, don't worry. If I can understand it, you can understand it. <laughs> um, expository preaching is basically um, looking at a passage, taking it apart, and being able to walk line by line the passage and apply that to your life. <clears throat> they call it exegesing a passage when you're actually looking at it. You're learning some really theological or Bible words. <laughs> and so you, you take a passage, and then you begin to walk through it line by line, and then you begin to apply it to your life. And why you do that is because the Bible is so beautiful, but it's also so vast. It's something that was written um, thousands of years ago outside of your time, outside of your cultural context. And so my encouragement to you is when you approach scripture, it would be an approach of humility, an approach of, I don't understand, teach me. I don't understand, teach me. You don't understand what's happening culturally. You don't understand even some of the words that were translated from Hebrew, Hebrew or Arabic down to English. They lose some of their, even their punchiness or even their, their vastness. And so you don't understand any of these things. And so when we read the Bible, we want to be people that read the Bible with humility. And we would come to it and be like, okay, teach me. And so we're going to go and have kind of a, a preaching that is expository and that is walking through each passage. Also, when we see and are looking at Scripture, we have to understand how deeply interconnected it is. It is made up of 66 books with tons of author, authors over thousands of years, but it is divinely interconnected. They call it the scarlet thread through Scripture, and that scarlet thread is we see Jesus... In this, the plan for salvation to unite God into man, reunite them back together throughout the entirety of Scripture. In Genesis, in the beginning, th three chapters in, it talks about a Messiah coming that would crush the head of the serpent and it would bruise his heel. That's Jesus. You see Jesus mentioned later on about a coming Messiah and they would call him a, um, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, the prince of peace. We see him come up in, in this encounter with Abraham and Melchizedek. We see him in all the Old Testament. We see him in the prophets. Isaiah mentions him a thousand times about the coming Savior. 
We see him in the books of wisdom. We see him in, in the New Testament. Jesus is interconnected and interwoven throughout the entirety of Scripture. Yeah. So when you're reading things, you're reading it humbly, but you're understanding something. That you're coming to it and you're understanding both the, the, the micro picture, so you're understanding a, a, just one passage, but you're understanding it in light and understanding of Jesus in this broader picture. You tracking with me? <laughs> uh, so today we're going to take that understanding of the Bible and we're going to apply it to a particular passage of Scripture. And my hope and my prayer for you is that throughout this thing, it could be one thing at the beginning, something at the end, that you would take this Scripture and you would apply it to your life because there is nothing that can change you like God, right. like Jesus. And the only thing we know about Jesus and the only thing we know about God is from his Bible and from Scripture. And so we allow Scripture, the living Scripture, it's active. It's living and active, it says, to come into our life and to change us. We kneel to it and we say, Lord, use your word, use your spirit to transform me here and now. Amen? Amen. Psalms 23, that is the passage that we're going to begin to walk through a little exegesis of it. And so first, I wanted to read the passages in its entirety. The passage will be up on the screen. Psalms 23, ESV version. Um, it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not once. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Could we get that on the screen? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Next one. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first section, I kind of divided them into three different sections, um, is called the leading. The leading. And so you want to put up that first beginning of the passage. I want to read it and kind of break it down. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When you're reading and looking at Scripture, um, oftentimes I find myself not understanding Scripture. Anybody there with me? Um, if that happens to you, um, I would recommend looking at another translation. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic way that sometimes certain words will fit in your brain. And you're like, oh, I understand it. And I'm going to read a passage from the Message Translation. The Message Translation, I feel like, is really good commentary to kind of further expound the passage in really common lingo. It says this in the Message Translation, God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You let me lay down in lush meadows. 
You find me quiet pools to drink from, true to your word, and you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shepherd and sheep. The author of this passage of Psalms, much of Psalms, is written by King David. King David was the same David that slayed Goliath, that was chased around by Saul, and later became king of Israel. Before he was king, before any of that, he was actually a shepherd. So there's this understanding of him that comes out of like remembering what he used to do. He wrote this as a king, but he was a shepherd. And so the parallel that we see drawn in Psalms 23 is that the great shepherd is God, Jesus, and the sheep is you and me. (laughs) That is what we see is in this passage. And when David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We often think about it is this way. I have no wants. Meaning I have, I have no wants because I have air. I have water. I have food. I have clothing. I have a house. And that is true. But what David pens in the original Hebrew was actually a little deeper than that. He wrote it in such a way that we'd understand it as this. He said, Lord, you are my shepherd. I only want what you allow me to have. A little deeper, a little more. Some things are actually good for you, but there's things that are actually better for you. And I think about this in the terms of sheep and what he's thinking about. Imagine working with sheep as a shepherd, and they're over eating sagebrush over here in weeds, when you're like, hey, I I know that can kind of sustain you, but man, I got some green pastures over here for you to eat of. That is the stuff. And so this, this desire that's not saying, it's not only, thank you God for all of these things. Lord, I have no wants. It's this prayer. I only want what you allow me to have. You know what is good for me to consume. And you know what is bad for me to consume. Think about that in the spiritual perspective. Let's continue on. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Have you ever had to make a little kid eat? Doesn't really happen when you get older, right? (laughs) You have to stop eating, you know. In my house... A common phrase, if, if you were just there, you would hear the phrase, just, just take a bite. <laughs> I don't care what you do. I don't care the story. I, I don't care. Just please just take a dang bite. You know, 30 minutes in, yeah. just take a bite. You know, anyone with kids? <laughs> the parents know best. And just like that, the shepherd knows best what is best for our life. And when he makes you lay down, Jesus doesn't want you to skip a meal. He doesn't want you to just pass by the green fields. He doesn't want you to eat of the sagebrush over there. But he wants you to lay down in the green pastures and let that sustain you. Green pastures, when you look at it in this illustration, is the green pastures mean his word. God's word. That's what that means. 
The word of God that would go forth that is living and active is the green pastures in this. So when he says, David, he goes, he makes me lie down in his word. He makes me sit there and listen and consume. I often think of the phrase, you are what you eat. Or, you are a product of your environment. I think of those things in the spiritual oftentimes. I think of what we, you are what you eat. And if you are frustrated about who, you be, who you've become spiritually or in character, I would suggest that you need a diet change. And a diet change for you would be to get off the sagebrush or to stop skipping meals. But allow the Lord to make you lie down in green pastures. To spend time with God like you haven't spent time with Him. To read your Bible and just be like, Lord, feed me. And you will watch and be amazed on the transformation that can happen in your life. Amen? Amen. He, li- he leads me beside still waters. He leads me. Here again we see this contrast. So... He makes you lie down in green pastures, but he doesn't make you lie down in the river. (laughs) He leads you beside still waters. It's this contrast. The green pastures is word, and the still waters is spirit. Anytime you see water, oil, fire in, in scripture, it is talking about the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that has always been around and has always been active from the beginning in Genesis. And so when you see this, you see this beautiful pairing of sit and learn and eat of my word and then be led by my spirit. And then he restores my soul. Hmm. The only thing that will truly restore your soul is the thing that you need and that is to be connected back with the shepherd. To sit in the green pastures to eat of his word, and to drink of those still waters, to drink of his spirit and be led by his spirit, your soul begins to be restored. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, his. The people in this room, including me, that you've been radically changed by God, by Jesus, the thing is that you don't hear come out of him is this, yeah, I kind of helped myself out of that situation. Man, the name of Noah is awesome, you know. <laughs> no, what you hear come out of them is like, I was in a bad spot. Then Jesus came and it radically changed everything about me. Because he leads you in those paths of righteousness because you're valuable to him. Because you have a purpose and a destiny, but it is to make his name great. So that other people would know of the great shepherd that can make them well. It is for his name's sake. And when you're a true believer and a Christian, you know this. It just comes out of you. People are like, what is that? You're like, it's Jesus. (laughs) It's Jesus. It's the great shepherd. Let's go to the next kind of section. The valley. The valley. It says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
the message translation of that says this. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid. When you walk at my side with your trusty shepherd's crook, it makes me feel secure. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I kind of don't like this passage, part of the passage, because it gives you a guarantee that you will walk through the valley. That you will walk through dark and difficult times. There's no, hey, if, if you walk through the valley. There's no, hey, maybe you would like find yourself in the valley. It says that even though, even though, even when you walk through that valley. It's inevitable. And the valley is this thing in scripture that we see. This valley of the shadow of death is this thing of the valley of loss and of death, of depression, and addiction, self-hate, whatever, fill in the blank. Those are the valleys. But in the inevitability of the valley, meaning that, that the valley is going to happen, no matter what, you're going to have to walk through a valley at some point. We also see a guarantee from Jesus, a reason not to be afraid, because he's with you. Not that it's going to hurt. Not that it's going to be scary. Not that it's going to be, it may even take you to the edge. None of that. But the reason why he tells you not to be afraid is because he's with you. That's it. He is with you. I've seen it. I have lived it. That in the midst of pain and suffering... Jesus is present in the valley. Interesting that in the passage he writes, um, he doesn't write just the valley of death. He doesn't write that. He writes the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning it's just a shadow. But it's because it's only a shadow. It's only a shadow because it's, there's no true death when you're with Jesus. There's not. There literally cannot be. This body will decay and will die. But in Jesus, there is life and life everlasting. So even in the shadow of death, it's just a shadow. This body will decay. But man, when you're walking with Jesus, man, that spirit keeps on going. Amen? I think of that old passage, you know, the old song too. Oh, death, where is your sting? I'm going to go to the next passage. Oh, actually, go back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That old trusty shepherd's hook. <laughs> In biblical times, there was two things the shepherds would carry with them, and it was both a rod and that really um, iconic shepherd's hook that kind of looks like a candy cane. They would carry both of those things. And they had both two distinct functions, both of them. The rod would do two things. The rod was for fending off wild animals, wolves, bears, wild dogs, what have you. 
that would look to harm and hurt the sheep. That's what the rod would do. There's a second function for the rod that they would use. They would put out the rod and the sheep would pass under the rod and they would, he would count them as they returned back to the fold. What they did and what shepherds did in biblical times is they would make almost like a half moon shape out of thorns and branches like that and twist them together to create a wall with an opening on one end. The sheep would pass through or under the rod of the shepherd and be counted and the shepherd would sleep in the opening. And so that rod was for defense but for counting all the sheep. The second thing they used to carry was the staff, that shepherd's crook. And the staff would serve for two purposes as well. It was to lead and guide the sheep. When the sheep would go left or right or be astray, they would kind of, hey, no, 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 go left, go right. And he would bring them back together. It also served another function. When the sheep would wander and he would get out of the shepherd's reach, and the sheep would become stuck and unable to help itself and out of reach of the actual shepherd, he would spin that rod around where it has the hook portion and hook the sheep and pull them back out. In the valley, Jesus is your protector because you are valuable and you are counted. He says later, I will leave the 99 and go after the one. Who's been the one? You know, <laughs> he'll pursue you and bring you back into the fold. He will lead and guide you into green pastures and still waters. And when you wander and you get yourself even stuck, even when you wander and you reject God, you, regret, you reject the shepherd and you fall into addiction or, or you get yourself into an impossible situation. You know what it says? It says he is there with that trusty shepherd's hook. <laughs> to pull you out and make all things right and beautiful again. Amen? Amen? The next section, the table. <clears throat> it says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The message version says this, you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head and my cup brims with blessing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This, amongst a few other few others, like passages, are the ones that I recite almost on a daily to be like a prayer for me, but also to recite scripture. You may have your own, but this is one of mine. And I find myself reciting this, but also praying it over and over and over again, day after day. Because I really believe that once it gets in your soul, it begins to transform you. And so I've memorized this passage years ago, and I pray it often. And when I would get to this part, a lot of times... I would pray, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what I would picture and imagine is a table set up with food and drink and all these things. And then I would imagine people 
that ticked me off <laughs> or did me wrong sitting around the table. That coworker, that student on Wednesday night that drove me nuts, <laughs> that person that hurt me from years ago, the person that hurt me from last week, sitting at this table with me. And I would imagine in my brain and pray, man, in like sitting with me, man, my enemies, I'm going to be anointed with your presence, God. I would pray that. One day in the midst of prayer, I had a God moment in God revelation. I had this thing that changed something in me. Because in the lens of Jesus, or when you understand who Jesus is, and you begin to look through the lens of Jesus at this passage, something begins to change in you about enemies. Because people are not the enemy. People are the objective. Jesus cares for every single person. And check this out. What did he say to do for your enemies? He said to love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So now the question is, after this revelation, I had a question. And my question was, if people are not the enemies around the table, what is sitting around the table with me? What are the enemies that are sitting around the table while you anoint my head with oil, Lord? A question that kind of ate at me and I thought about for time after time. King David... When he was a shepherd who wrote this passage, he was anointed with oil to become king. In biblical times, the prophet at the time would go and find a person and he would anoint that person under God's directive to be king. And how that would happen is they would find that person, open up a bottle or break a canister and dump olive oil over their head and their beard. This happened to David in the middle of a field, away from everyone, with a bunch of sheep, from a prophet Samuel, he got anointed to be king. He got anointed to have a purpose and a calling and a destiny from God, saying that this is what you are supposed to do, David. And he got anointed. It's powerful. Now, when we think about the table and we think about what it means to be anointed when he wrote this, the question that came to mind is, if people are not the enemy, what is the enemy? The enemy is the enemy of your anointing. The enemies that would sit around the table are the enemies that are the enemy of your anointing. The things that would get in the way of, call, of, of your calling and would stop you from doing what God destined and purposed you to do. Those are the enemies. They would sit there at the table and mock you and say, hmm, I don't think you're good enough for that calling. Maybe one of the enemies would be lust. Sit at the table. 
And you're sitting there at the table and there's lust at the table and you're like, man, I feel called and anointed and lust to be like, hmm. Can you be anointed or used by God with this issue? I don't know. You kind of looked at that guy or girl sideways the other day. Shame. Maybe one of the enemies around the table would be hate. And you think in your head, man, I'd rather die never forgiving that person than fulfill what God wants me to do. And that enemy at the table would be like, yeah, you should. Don't fulfill your calling. It's the enemy of your calling. Or maybe fear is the one that sits at the table for you. And you can fill in whatever yours is. Maybe fear is the enemy of your calling. And it would say, I don't think you can actually do that. You're not brave enough. You couldn't actually do that, you realize. You know you're not capable enough. You know you're not smart enough. You know you don't even have the resources. How would you even do that? You're not even righteous enough to do that. You can't fulfill that calling. Maybe it's pride. Another enemy that would sit around the table with you. It'd sit there and say, are you really going to do that? Don't you think that's beneath you? Do you really think you should go pray for that person? They're kind of stinky. They're kind of dirty. You're too good for that. You're really going to use your resources on that? You're really going to stoop to that level for that? The enemies of your calling. While all those enemies are at the table, shouting at you a thousand things, saying how you are disqualified because of this or that, Jesus says something different. Jesus, the good shepherd, in the midst and at the table, when all these things would be shouting how unqualified you are of this calling, Jesus says, but I qualify you. And he begins to anoint your head. And he says, I qualify you to do this. And the voices are louder. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I'm the one that qualifies you. This shame, this hate, that don't qualify you. It doesn't. That doesn't define you. That hate is not you. You are my sheep and I am your shepherd. That is the thing that qualifies you. Man, that lust. Psh. Man, you may be wrestling with that and struggling with that. It may sit at the table and sneer at you, but it doesn't touch the calling that I have for you. It doesn't touch the purpose I have for you. That even in the midst of the struggling and the wrestling, wow, I've anointed you and you got a purpose and you got a calling. That fear, you can do a lot more than you think. <laughs> You're too afraid? God says, I will make you brave. I made Moses, the man that stuttered, free a bunch of people. We can do a heck of a lot with you. That pride? Saying, hmm. Lord's like, we'll deal with that. <laughs> but man, you're anointing. 
It's there. In the midst of the enemies, in the midst of the table, in the midst of all these things that would seek to disqualify you and rob you of what God called you to do, the anointing is there. And what's so cool about it is that it's not just enough. It doesn't say that. It's overflowing. It's not, gonna, it's not just going to be enough. What God, what God purposed and called you to do, you have this too if you're a Christian. You have a purpose and a calling. The, the anointing isn't just going to be enough for you. It's not going to be enough. It's going to be overflowing. You may feel like, you're like, Lord, I don't even know if I have enough. That's not a problem. <laughs> it's going to be overflowing and overwhelming. It's more than enough. And it's more than enough at the table of your enemies. The last one is the house. This is this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love the certainty of it. Surely it shall. It's a promise from God. God. 